got your Bibles with you, going to be in the book of Ephesians today, the book of Ephesians. I'm uh, going to start by reading the first eight verses of chapter 1, and then we'll flip over and read from chapter 5. We'll read verses 15 and 16 of chapter 5. That'll be the real uh, sermon text, but I wanted to start in Ephesians 1 uh, by reading the first eight verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, please hear this public reading of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, chapter 5. Verses 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come this Sunday afternoon, uh, the first Sunday of the new year of 2022, and as we consider this very important topic of our time and of redeeming the time I pray that we would be reminded of the importance of the time that you give us, uh, that we would be reminded of how short the time is that you do give us, and I pray that we would leave here today seeking to, by your grace, to redeem what little time left that we have on this earth. So, Father, teach us to number our our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So some of you may remember that I preached on this text of Scripture a little bit over four years ago, slightly over four years ago. If my sermon notes were accurate, it was uh, December 27th of 2017. I preached on this text, and some of you may be thinking, well, why are you re-preaching this sermon? Why did you rework this sermon? Well, let me answer that question. Uh, About a week and a half ago or so, Jerry Edgar texted me, and he asked me what I thought about possibly preaching on January the second. Well, I got out the calendar, I looked at the calendar, and I counted up the days that I would have of sermon prep, and I think there were 10 days of sermon prep that I had, and one of those days was Christmas Day, so I thought, really, I have about nine days of sermon prep. That may sound like a lot, and it may be a lot for a lot of people, but for me, that's not a lot of time. I'm very slow with sermon preparation. I'm definitely the slowest of the four elders. They're much faster than I am. I'm I'm slowly getting better, I think, but I thought, there's no way uh, over the Christmas holiday, I could do a new sermon, but I told Jerry, maybe I could rework something. I was already thinking about Ephesians, Ephesians 5. I thought I would do it for congregational prayer today. So I said, maybe I could rework a sermon. And Jerry said, oh, that'd be a great idea. New year, redeeming the time. I said, go ahead and plan to do that. So that's how we got here. This is a subject that uh, I've talked about even before I preached on it four years ago. I talked about it at the guys' night. We had that singles and marriage night we had over in the gym, on the side room of the gym. Some of you maybe were there. I talked about it then. I think Mark and Jerry talked to me after that, and they encouraged me to make a whole sermon out of what I had talked about, some about redeeming the time. So then I did a whole sermon 
Uh, some of the guys in my book club, they've heard me talk about this lots of times. I was thinking the guys who've been there since the beginning, Wes and Grant, Josh, Zach Petty, these guys, all four of them together could probably come up with a pretty good sermon on this subject because they've heard me talk on it so much. And my wife has heard me talk about it a whole lot, and she likes to make fun of me on this topic. She did this week. Uh, it was, we were getting ready for bed, and I was trying to read an article before bed, and she said, what are you doing over there? Are you trying to redeem your time? I said, yes, I, I am. I deserve uh, to be made fun of on this topic. But in all seriousness, I love the topic, and it has been really good for me spiritually just to think about time again and how short our time is, and I hope it'll be good for all of us to consider uh, our time. Before we dive into our text, I wanted to start with an overview of the book of Ephesians. I did this four years ago, but I think it's helpful to keep it in our mind, sort of a, an overview of the book of Ephesians. I am stealing this from a guy I heard teach on this almost 14 years ago. I heard a guy teach on this. I was joining a, a mission organization in Daytona Beach, Florida, and we were doing uh, new staff training for six weeks. And one of the things they had us do there was study a book of the Bible, and they picked Ephesians for us to study. So we were studying it. They were trying to teach us how to like, teach the Bible. And they brought in all these guest speakers to teach on the book of Ephesians. And my favorite speaker by far was a local church pastor in town. I do not even remember the guy's name, but he was a wonderful, very gifted communicator of God's word. And I still remember the way he did the overview of the book of Ephesians. And this is what he said. He said, you take the book of Ephesians, it has six chapters. He said, you should divide it right in the middle, take the first three chapters, and then take the second three chapters. So one, two, and three, divide them out. And when you think of chapters 1, 2, and 3, picture them as just rich with gospel truth, just radiant with gospel truth. He called it sort of the light of the gospel radiates from the pen of the Apostle Paul through chapters 1, 2, and 3. Just wonderful, rich gospel truth. We just read about some of it. I'll reread some of this from chapter 1, and you'll hear the, the richness of gospel truth. Chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So we have God's love for us. He predestined us for adoption, rich, wonderful gospel truth, according to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him, in Christ, we have what redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Here you have rich, wonderful, radiant gospel truth radiating from the pen of the apostle Paul. You have it in chapter one, you have it in chapter two, you have it in chapter three, you have this rich, wonderful gospel truth. But he said in chapter four, something happens. This is what he said. He said, chapter four, you, you picture a prism. And in chapter four, the gospel begins to hit the prism of our life and it begins to impact every area of our life. The gospel begins to work its way out in our lives in the book of Ephesians in four, five, and six. So think about the beginning of chapter four. He, Paul says, walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So in light of the gospel, we now walk differently. We walk in humility. We do not walk with pride. No, we walk humbly in light of the grace we've received from Christ. We walk with gentleness. We walk with patience. We bear with one another in love in light of the love we've received. Later in chapter 4, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So again, in light of the gospel, it impacts the way we walk. It impacts the way we speak. We no longer speak rotten words. We no longer speak words that tear down. No, we want to speak words that build up in light of the grace we've received. We want to give grace with our words. Incredible reality. Our words now are different in light of the gospel. Chapter 5, he begins by saying, be imitators of God as beloved children. What a high calling. As beloved children, now we are to be imitators of God in light of the gospel. Middle of chapter 5, we are to make the best use of the time. So in light of the gospel, the way we use our time is different. We'll come back to that one later in chapter 5. Husbands and wives, it's different now, right? Husbands are supposed to love their wives sacrificially, humbly, in light of the gospel. And wives are supposed to submit to their husbands out of reverence for Christ. So that relationship is now different in light of the gospel. Think about children. Uh, in chapter 
Children are to obey their parents in light of the gospel. They're to honor their parents in light of the gospel. And then parents to children. The parents are to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In chapter 6, in light of the, the gospel, parents now are going to behave differently to their children. And then you think bondservants and masters. The relationship is different in chapter 6. In light of the gospel, we as bondservants, we don't want to be, be uh, people pleasers, merely way of eye service. No, we want to honor God with how we work in light of the gospel. So this is an overview of the book of Ephesians. Light of the gospel, prism of our life begins to, the gospel begins to work its way out in our lives. The basic idea is God's grace affects our faithfulness. God's grace affects our faithfulness. But I want to focus in on uh, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, before we get to chapter 5. I want to read verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. Again, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So in Christ, we have redemption uh, through his blood. And I've quoted this many times from Charles Spurgeon, but this is so helpful from Charles Spurgeon. He said that the most important thing about you as a Christian is not where you were born. It's not what you've accomplished in life. It's not how much money you've made. That's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you, if you're a Christian, is the fact that you have been purchased, that you have been bought with a price, that you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This is the most important thing about you. You see, our connection with Calvary, that's the most important thing about us. And he says, since this is the most important thing about us, the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, this should exercise the most prominent influence over our lives. We need to be, most of all, saints redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Well, in order for us to do that, we must live with God's past redemption firmly fixed in our view and in our gaze. We sing a song here often, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood by William Cooper. And in that song, he says famously, Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Well, if redeeming love is going to be our theme and it's going to be until we die, we must live with God's past redemption firmly fixed in our gaze. This past Christmas day, before we had our Christmas meal uh, together, we were gathered together as a family. Now, Mark and Kelly and the kids were not there, so a much smaller group there, but we still had a good group of people around the table. And before my dad was going to pray for the meal, uh, he wanted to give a few words about Jesus. And since it's Christmas time, so he picked up a Christmas card that they had uh, received recently. And on that Christmas card, a famous verse was uh, listed on that Christmas card. It was 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, where Paul says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's the ESV of 2 Corinthians 9.15. Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, the inexpressible gift is Jesus that we are to thank God for. We are to thank God for this inexpressible gift, the gift of Jesus at Christmas time especially. And my dad said he looked up different translations of 2 Corinthians 9.15. The NIV, for example, says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So you have inexpressible gift, ESV, indescribable gift, NIV. And then my dad said the King James Version had an interesting uh, take on it. The King James Version of 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Unspeakable gift. And my dad said that's an interesting choice of word for the King James to use unspeakable. Why do they choose unspeakable? So he looked up unspeakable in the dictionary. And one of the definitions of unspeakable is incapable of being expressed in words. Incapable of being expressed in words. And then he said something like this. He said, we do not have words in the English language that are adequate enough to describe the gift of Jesus. We just don't have adequate words to describe the gift of Jesus. That's why they use unspeakable gift. And then my dad just simply laid out, sort of reminded us of the humility of Jesus. He said, Jesus left the throne of heaven and he came to be mistreated by sinful human beings and he died at the hands of sinful human beings. And I'm sitting there trying to, you know, keep Michael quiet, but I'm listening to this inexpressible gift of Jesus, and I am being moved again afresh as I consider this inexpressible, this unspeakable gift of Jesus. 
So you see, when we hear Paul say, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift, we want to say, amen, yes, thank you, God, for sending Jesus, this unspeakable, this indescribable, this inexpressible gift of Jesus. So we need to live in light of this inexpressible gift of Jesus, but we need to live in light of our redemption that we have in Christ. Because when we live in light of our redemption, when we live in light of Jesus and the gift that He is, we will be filled with fresh wonder and amazement. I love what Alistair Begg said. He said, Christianity is about the wonder of what Christ has done. So a real Christian is always saying, oh, how the grace of God amazes me. Isn't that true? It doesn't matter how many times you hear the story. It doesn't matter. You hear it again and you're moved afresh because it's an incredible reality, incredible story. It always seems to stir us and to move us. So we must live with this past redemption firmly fixed in our gaze. So holding verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1 in our minds, let's flip over to our sermon text, chapter 5. Verses 15 and 16, still remembering about our redemption. Let me read our sermon text, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So again, we're thinking about verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. This is the most important thing about us. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And here's my sermon title, tying it in with uh, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, borrowing this from somebody else, but since we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we now redeem the time for Him. That's the title of my sermon. Since we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we now want to. We can't believe we get to. We want to redeem the time for Him. So what does it mean to redeem the time? ESV, verse 16, says making the best use of the time. The idea, we want to make the best use of the time. That's the idea of redeeming the time. Another commentator said it means to buy up every passing opportunity. And yet another commentator said Paul is talking about wisdom and making the most of that specific historical time God gives to us. It is as if he is asking, what are we to do with our moments? How are we best to spend this day, this hour, this minute? How can I best spend this day, this hour, this minute? That's the idea of redeeming the time. Well, what about the opposite side? What does it mean to waste time? Well, to waste time would to spend our time on that which has little or no value, spending our time on useless pursuits. That would be wasting time, spending it on useless pursuits. So we want to redeem the time God gives us. We want to, as it were, liberate that time from useless pursuits, and we want to dedicate our time to the highest purposes. So let's just think about time for just a second. One author, Christian author, said, in my opinion, most Christians do not consider time as important as it really is. It's a strong statement. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking about Christians. Most Christians do not consider time as important as it really is. Another Christian author said, if people threw away their money as thoughtlessly as they throw away their time, we would think them insane. So if we threw away our money like we throw away our time, we would think that people are insane. So why is time so important? Why is it so precious? Well, four answers to that question. Number one, which is probably the obvious answer, but number one, why is time so important? Is because time is short. Time is so short. We're, we're a mist. We're a vapor that appears for a while and we're gone. And somebody said it's the, the birthday cake. You know, the kid blows out the candles, the smoke arises and leaves. That's our life. Our life is so short. Therefore, it is important and precious. An application point right here would be, when do we begin to redeem time? And the answer would be now. We must do it today because we may not have tomorrow. So we want to redeem time now. So time is short. That's why it's important. A couple of non-Christians at the end of their life said this. One said this. He said he would give his doctor half of what he was worth if the doctor would give him just six more months of life. 
You see, at the end of his life, he saw how short time was, and he, was, he saw how precious it was. He was willing to give half of everything for six more months. Another guy, non-Christian, some of his very last words were these, if I had the whole world, I would give it to live one day. If he had the whole world, he would give it all to live one more day. So time is important and precious because it's so short. Number two, why is time so important and so precious? Because time cannot be recovered. You cannot recover time. You can't slow time down. You can't pause time. You can't replay time. You can't go back in time. Once time has passed, it is gone and it is gone forever. You can't go back in last week and redeem that time you wasted. You can't do it. You can't go back and unsay that unkind word you spoke to maybe a loved one or a friend. You can't do it. You can be forgiven for that, but you can't go and unsay it. You can't relive time. It cannot be recovered. This is why time is so precious and important. And I think this is why Jonathan Edwards, at a young age, he resolved, he said, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can because, you see, time cannot be recovered. Number three, why is time important and precious? Because of the ripple effect of how we use our time. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why Paul tells us to redeem time, because of the ripple effect of how we use our time. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were a kid, you probably even, you may do it still now. You go to a lake, you pick up a rock, you throw it in uh, the lake. My, my son loves to throw stuff in the, in the lake. He'll chunk it out there and you see it splash in the water and the ripples just go and go and go. These ripples take off from the rock. Well, in the same way, we should see our choices as having a ripple effect on all those around us. One author said it like this, the effects of our choices are real. Each choice we make as a Christian and as a human being has a reality in history and it affects all those about us. So you see, if I waste my time, if I fail to spend time in the Word of God, if I fail to spend time in the Scriptures, if I fail to uh, pursue community with God's people, yes, it's going to have a negative impact on me personally, but it's also going to have a negative impact on those around me. It's going to have a negative impact on my wife. It's going to have a negative impact on my son. It's going to have a negative impact on my coworkers if I fail to redeem the time. You see, there's going to be a negative ripple effect. But if I redeem the time that God gives to me, if I spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, spend time in fellowship with God's people, that's going to have a positive impact on me, but it's going to have a positive impact impact on those around me. All kinds of illustrations you could give on this, but here's one from fairly recently. It was maybe four months or so. Uh, you can get with my dad for the details later, but my dad was having a conversation with Grant Crane after the service here. Maybe he was in this room or was maybe over there at the gym. They were having a conversation, and uh, my dad told Grant something that he had learned, but actually was the first guy who discipled my dad was a guy named Don Lanier who's with the Navigators. He's been with the Navigators for years, still with them as far as I know. But Don Lanier told my dad that the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs would be really good for young men especially to study and to, to marinate on the Proverbs. And my dad took his advice and spent, I think, a year studying the Proverbs. And my dad was just telling Grant, because he knew Grant and Josh. And Josh, they have this bro Bible study with these young guys, high school, college guys. And my dad just told Grant, it'd be a good idea, you know, get these young guys to get the Proverbs. It'd be really good for them. Well, Grant took that piece of advice, that wisdom, and he implemented it with the bro Bible. What he did was, I think he came up with a proverb. Uh, they would memorize this proverb. They would think on this proverb for two weeks. And they would come back and at the beginning of their time there of discussion. They would talk about this proverb. They'd bat it around for five or ten minutes. And they've been doing this for many months. And Grant said that these guys, it took them a while, but they really have latched onto this and loved this idea of, of memorizing these proverbs and talking about these proverbs. Well, you see the ripple effect. Here's one moment in time. My dad redeemed it, gave this piece of godly counsel to Grant. Grant takes it. And you see the ripple effect in all these guys. It's still rippling out from one conversation. If my dad decides to not redeem that 
that moment. Talk about something trivial. You see, it sort of just dies there. But if you redeem that moment, you can see the ripple effect it can have on those around us. I was reading a biography on J.C. Ryle recently by Ian Murray. And in that biography, Ian Murray said this about J.C. Ryle. He said it remained a lifelong conviction of, of Ryle's that spiritual usefulness was ever related to a guarded use of time. I just, I wholeheartedly agree with this. He's talking about pastoral ministry here, but it's applicable to all of us. Spiritual usefulness is ever related to a guarded use of time. You see, we want to be spiritually useful to other people. We want to be able to have spiritual resources for people. Well, if we do, we need to guard our time. Because if we don't guard our time, we're going to just waste away. We're going to dry up spiritually. We neglect the means of grace. We're just going to dry up. Our tank's going to be empty spiritually. How are we going to have any spiritual resources to give to other people if we're not guarding our time? So we must guard our time, fill our lives with spiritual resources so we can help and benefit other people. We want to be doing spiritual good to other people. We need to guard our time. Number four, why is time so important and precious? Number four, because time, time is a gift. It's a gift of, of God. Every day is a gift. We must see every day as a gift of God. Each new day brings us 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,000 seconds, each moment a precious gift from God. Many of you maybe have gone to a cemetery and you maybe walked around a cemetery and looked at different graves. And maybe you found a grave or a headstone and you found somebody about your age and you've, you've contemplated death and it's been good for you. It's good to do that, to think about our deaths. But when you go to a cemetery and you look at a, a headstone or a gravestone, you'll see the maybe family name and you'll see these two dates. Uh, the date of their birth with the year, and then the date of their death with, with the year and the day, and there's a dash in the middle. So, for example, maybe somebody born in January of 1905 dies in February of uh, 1985. So they were 80 years old with a dash in the middle. But well, that dash in the middle is representative of the time that God gives to each of us. Uh, he's going to give some of us more than others, but all of us, he's going to give us time. And if Jesus doesn't return, all of us are going to have probably a headstone with these two dates and a dash in the middle, and that's the time that God gives us. And what we want to do as Christians is we want to take that time that God gives us, and we want to redeem it. We want to use it for the best and highest purposes that we can by God's grace. Now, let me just mention a few hindrances to redeeming time, some hindrances to redeeming time. I have four hindrances that will keep us from redeeming time. Number one, the first hindrance to redeeming time would be idleness. Idleness would be the first hindrance to redeeming time. What is idleness? Well, idleness would be inactivity. It would be lazy afternoons. It would be free time on our schedule with nothing planned. That would be idleness. Matthew Henry has famously said on this, whatever you do, take heed of idleness. Matthew Henry is saying, watch out for idleness. Why? Because he said it's the devil's anvil on which he hammers out many temptations. Another author said when we are being idle, he said we are practically begging Satan to tempt us to sin when we are being idle. So we want to take heed of idleness. We want to watch out for idleness. Lazy afternoons with nothing planned. It reminded me of John Calvin today, that at the end of his life, you may know about Calvin. Calvin just basically almost worked himself to death, but he worked so, so hard. But at the very end of his life, people were telling him he needed to rest. He wasn't in good shape, uh, near death, but he wanted to keep on working. He wanted to keep working on his commentaries. He's working on the commentaries, and his friends came to him and said, you know, John, you need to take a rest. But this is what John Calvin famously said. He said, what? Would you have the Lord find me idle when he comes? He did not want to be found idle. He didn't want Jesus to return and find him idle. So he kept on working on his commentaries. He did not want to be idle. So we want to watch out for idleness. Secondly, second hindrance would be lack of planning. I think it goes right with idleness would be lack of planning. Lack of planning will, will lead to idleness, I think, and will lead to us wasting time. But lack of planning, D.A. Carson has written on this. He said, what, uh, we do not pray so often because we do not 
plan to pray, but you could just add anything. We do not memorize Scripture because we do not plan to memorize Scripture. We do not uh, encourage other believers because we do not plan to. We do not redeem the time because we don't plan to redeem the time. My guess is some of us love to plan and others probably hate planning, but I think all of us should at least have some kind of plan in place, especially when it comes to redeeming time. So if we have free time upcoming, you know, next Saturday, we should plan ahead and just say, how can I best use this time? Maybe I should encourage somebody. Maybe I should memorize scripture. Maybe I should listen to a sermon. We just need some kind of planning to help us redeem time. Number three, the third hindrance would be laziness. Laziness. Let me read our text again. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. These verses are calling us to be alert, to be vigilant. There's some urgency about these words for us to apply wisdom because the days are evil. Opposition is great. So if we are being lazy, how in the world are we going to obey these verses if we're being lazy? We can't. We can't. And I think all of us are probably prone to some laziness uh, with our time, and especially in the day and age in which we live. One writer said, how much do we need to guard against laziness in a world of endless entertainment? and social media. I mean, it's just so, so easy to be lazy, to watch just a little bit too much and to scroll a little bit too much. It's just so easy to be lazy. So we much watch out for laziness if we want to redeem time. Number four, the fourth hindrance to redeeming time would be spiritual carelessness. Spiritual carelessness. What do I mean? Well, I mean, when we fail to prioritize our spiritual health and growth. When we, we begin to not really care about reading the Bible, we begin to neglect uh, fellowship with God's people, that's going to lead to spiritual carelessness, and we will waste all kinds of time if we're being spiritual, spiritually care, careless. So we must prioritize our spiritual health and growth. Now, before I mention just a couple of ways that we can uh, get better at redeeming time, let me, let me just say, say this. Uh, if you think about, if you're a husband in this room, you think about one of the things God's called you to do is love your wife sacrificially and humbly. So one of the ways you're going to redeem the time is to be loving to your wife, to love her sacrificially. That means, sometimes it means stepping away from studying the, the Word of God and going out and serving your wife. It means doing the dishes and, and those types of things. We want to love our wife sacrificially. That's a great way for, for husbands to redeem the time. Wives, one of the ways you redeem time is you respect your husband. You, you submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ. If you have children, one of the ways you're going to redeem time, I think, is just simply to enjoy your children. Give thanks to God for the time with your children, but you want to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's how you redeem time. If you're working or if you're a full-time student, one of the ways you're going to redeem time is to let your light shine at work, to let your light shine uh, among your fellow students so they'll see your good deeds and give glory to God in heaven. You know, we don't want to be lazy at work. We want to be working heartily unto God. That's one of the great ways we'll redeem time. But now, getting to a couple practical ways that we can get better at redeeming time. Number one, this is the first one that I mentioned four years ago. I still think it's number one, and that would be we need an eternal mindset. We need an eternal mindset if we want to get better at redeeming time. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 famously says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We want to seek the things that are above. We want to set our minds on things that are above. It's so easy to focus on the temporal. That's what we see. But we want to set our minds on things above. One, one person said we want to let heaven fill our thoughts. We want to let heaven fill our thoughts. We want to be eternally minded people. I think we need, that means we need to think about heaven and hell. We need to think about both of these realities. We need to think about heaven and hell, but let's just think about heaven for just a second. Heaven is rapidly approaching, and we need to be reminded that heaven is going to never be boring, never a dull moment in heaven, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. We're rapidly approaching that day when heaven will come. And my guess is all of us want to be more heavenly minded. I know I do. 
And the question would be, how can we be more heavenly minded? I think one of the ways we do that is we get around heavenly minded people. And I'm glad our church has heavenly minded people in it. And I know most of you are probably thinking about this man up here. Jerry Ediger is heavenly minded. And, and I think Papa Fred is heavenly minded. Let I me mean, get around these guys, listen to their joy, listen to their sheer excitement and their anticipation of heaven. It is good for us just to listen to them, to see that excitement. We must rub, rub shoulders with them, talk to them about heaven. I'm mean, Jerry's so excited about heaven. Why? Because he'll never dishonor the Savior again. I mean, it's just ah, we got to get around these guys and learn from them. That will help us to be heavenly minded. Well, we also need to think about hell. At least some think about hell. I know our culture doesn't like to think about hell, but some of us read a book about heaven and hell a few months ago by a pastor named Edward Donnelly. He wrote a book about heaven and hell. And I think all of us found the chapters on hell especially to be powerful. Let me just read a few quotes from Edward Donnelly on hell. This is what he says. Statisticians tell us that approximately 95 million people die every year. That means that every second, three human beings enter hell or heaven. Within the next hour, 11,000 men, women, and children will have gone forever to a place of everlasting joy or a place of everlasting pain. He says, hell tells us that there is an awesome holy God in whose eyes we are dreadfully guilty. This doctrine, the doctrine of hell, informs us that sin is so serious, so damnable in God's eyes that it must be punished by an eternity of suffering. It lifts human wrongdoing to an entirely different plane and puts it in the context of accountability and judgment and everlasting consequences. People do not want to hear about hell because it tells them that sin is more serious and more terrible than they ever wanted to imagine. Hell is extreme, he says. But that is because sin is extreme and because extreme measures were taken for our salvation. Hell is indeed extreme and it is horrible, but that's because sin is extreme and horrible because extreme measures were taken for our salvation. But you see, when we live in light of hell, when we live in light of heaven, we cannot trifle away our days. We cannot. The gospel is too urgent in light of eternal realities. So a brief story from John Piper's life on this. He wrote an article in 2007 about the death of his father. It's my favorite. It got to be my favorite article he's ever written in 2007. John Piper's father, his name was Bill Piper. He was an evangelist. Uh, he went around the country faithfully proclaiming the gospel. He was gone for, I think, two-thirds of the year, basically. And uh, Piper and his sister were raised by his godly mother, Ruth. But his, his father was 88 years old. He was on his deathbed. Piper was alone with him in the hospital room. Piper had taken a brief nap. He got up from the nap. He's watching his father breathe. And his father's breathing was getting shorter and shorter, slowing down. And he thought, I'm not going to sleep anymore. The end has got to be near. Piper got up from his uh, couch and he leaned forward and he prayed into his father's ear for 10 minutes with biblical text and he pled with Jesus to come and take his father home. He said, I had made this case before and this time felt an unusual sense of partnership with daddy as I pressed on the Lord to relieve this warrior of his burden. I finished and laid down. Good, thank you, Lord. It won't be long. And then he watched his father and he watched the breathing slow down and slow down and slow down. And then his breathing stopped. And he rose and he waited. He said, is that going to be it? And then his father let out one big gasp. And he heard that there could be something like this, a false ending. But he said it wasn't a false ending. There was a second gasp. And that was it. Uh, there was no facial expression. His face was frozen in place. There was a little jerk and a twitch maybe. And that was it. Nothing more. His father goes to fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. He, he stroked his dad's head and he sang, my gracious master and my God assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. He said, daddy, how many thousands 
awaited you because of your proclamation of the great gospel. You were faithful. You kept the faith, finished the race, fought the fight. He called his sister. Then he called his wife. They gave thanks to God for Piper's dad. And he sat back down and waited. And the nurse showed up with morphine. And Piper informed her that his dad had died. So she said she was going to go get the doctor. So she left and the doctor returned a little while later. And the doctor listened to his father's chest at, I think, four different places. And he gave him some kind of pain to see for sure if he was dead. And he confirmed that his father indeed had died. And so he said he was going to send the nurse back to get some information on the funeral home. So he left. The nurse returned a little bit later and gathered the information about the funeral home. Piper gave her his uh, phone number and the information. And then she said before she left that he could spend as much time as he needed in the room. And she left. So Piper is left with his father's body. Bill Piper's soul is, is with Jesus, but his body is there. So Piper said he leaned over, got next to his father, and he lifted up his father's eyelid so he could see him face to face. And this is what he said to his, to his dad's body. He said, thank you, daddy. Thank you for 61 years of faithfulness to me. I am simply looking into his face now. Thank you. You were a good father. You never put me down. Discipline, yes. Spankings, yes. But you never scorned me. Never treated me with contempt. You never spoke of my future with hopelessness. In your voice, you believed God's hand was on me. You approved of my ministry. You prayed for me every day. I look you in the face and promise you with all my heart, never will I forsake your gospel. Oh, how you believed in hell and heaven and Christ and cross and blood and righteousness and faith and salvation and the Holy Spirit. In the life of holiness and love, I rededicate myself, Daddy, to serve your great and glorious Lord Jesus with all my heart and with all my strength. You have not lived in vain. Your life goes on in thousands. I am glad to be one. I kissed him on his cold cheek and his forehead. I love you. Daddy, thank you. He leaves the hospital room. There's a young man in his 20s listening to his iPod. And John Piper approaches this young man. The man stops his music, pulls out his headphones. And Piper said, Hello, my father just died. One of the greatest tributes I could pay to him is to ask you, are you ready to meet God? Yes, sir. That would make my father very happy. You know Jesus is the only way? Yes, sir. Good. Thank you for letting me talk to you. I share that. This is powerful. It's moving. But I think one of the reasons why Piper is so urgent and so thinking of eternity is because his father has just stepped into eternity. And he goes out there and he's going to speak to this guy about Jesus because he's living in light of eternity. So if we want to redeem time, we must have an eternal mindset. Number two, if we want to redeem the time, we must have a gospel focus. We must have a gospel focus. What do I mean? Well, you probably know what I mean. I talk about this so much. You probably know what I mean. I mean what one author says. We need to spend lots of time satisfying our soul and all that God has become for us in Jesus. I'm just so convinced this is so important for us to have a gospel focus. I've said at every wedding I've done that that couple in front of me, they need to keep the gospel central. I talked about it so much, but I will say it's so much easier to say that we need to be gospel-centered than it is to live gospel-centered. It's so easy to say, yeah, we got to be gospel-centered, but oh, it's so much hard to live gospel-centered, but oh, that we would have a gospel focus, that we really would do what George Mueller said to get our souls happy in Jesus. This is the first thing we should do in the morning. Well, how do we do that? Well, we come back to the gospel. We come back to the basics of the gospel, and we're stirred afresh by God's love for us. 
We think about our conversion, running a hellbound race, and we're, we're changed by the gospel. But I got a, a biography on Charles Spurgeon, this big one that I wanted to read for a while. And in this biography, he's talking about his conversion and just has powerful quotes from Spurgeon talking about his condition before he was saved. It's just moving, like how down in the depths he was 15 years old before, he, before his conversion. And then he talks about sort of the, the joy of a justified sinner, the incredible joy that he had so outweighed all the sorrows and all of the, the downside. But after Spurgeon's conversion, that powerful conversion at 15, he's just overcome with God's love for him. That A different biographer said this about Spurgeon. His love for Christ was such that although as yet he was only 15, he could not wait to do something for him, but must find ways in which to serve him and must do so right away. I love that. Once we're filled with the love of God for us in Christ, we're, we're responding in love to him and we want to go out. We just want to get out and serve him and honor him uh, with, with our lives. Sinclair Ferguson said this about sanctification. He said, the place where I must always begin is the gospel of the mercy of God to me in Christ. And I think it's the place we begin too when we're wanting to redeem time. We begin with God's mercy to me in Christ. And we just fill ourselves. We plead with God that he would satisfy us in the morning with his steadfast love. And when we have the gospel focus, oh, we're not going to waste time. We're going to want to redeem the time for him. There's many more I, I could say. I'll just briefly mention a few. Won't go into great detail on these. I think, number three, we need to be word-saturated. We just we need to have a desire for the word, uh, like, like newborn infants longing for, for milk. Uh, I just think about even Maggie. Uh, several weeks ago, she was losing her mind. Why? Because she wanted her milk. And she got the milk, and Grant just said, all for a bottle, all for the bottle. She calms down with the, with the bottle. Well, we want to have that desire for God's word. We just pray that like, incline my heart to your testimonies. We pray that from Psalm 119. Uh, number four, we want to spend more time praying and we want to cultivate thanksgiving and prayer. I think all of us want to, want to have a better prayer life. I think we come back to the privilege it is to pray. Uh, even Greg mentioning that in his prayer, we want to see the privilege of prayer. I think with our son who's almost three years old, uh, we give him treats sometimes, rewards for various things, and he, he loves the, the treats and rewards. He knows that's a privilege. We give him M&Ms and stuff or Rolos or whatever it is, but he always is pushing you to go up a, a notch. You say, I'm going to give you one. He said, no, not one, two. Not one, two. And then one time I said, I'm going to give you a couple. He said, not two, three. Like he's always going to the next level because he knows it's a privilege. I'm thinking this is how we should be with prayer. We should want to pray more. And we should cultivate Thanksgiving and prayer. I, I, I've talked about that at great length. Uh, I'll just stop there. So, so time is short. The application would be we, we must redeem the time now. Time is precious because it can't be recovered. We must remember the ripple effect. We want to be spiritually useful to other people. Then we must guard our time. Time is a gift. Oh, a precious gift. Remember the headstone, that dash in the middle. That's the time God gives us. We want to take it. We want to redeem it. Use it for the best and highest purposes. And we want to remember the hindrances, idleness, lack of planning, laziness, spiritual carelessness. And ultimately, if we want to get better at redeeming time, we need that eternal mindset and the gospel focus. And we can't forget the reason why we redeem time is because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, time is a gift. It is precious indeed. It is short. And Father, I would confess that I have wasted lots of time in my life. And I am thankful that there is forgiveness in Christ for all the time that I have wasted. But Father, I do pray that we would live in light of the past redemption, your past redemption for us, and that that would enable us to want to redeem the time for you. Help us to see how precious, how important time is. Help us to see that our choices have a ripple effect, as it were, on other people. And we want to be spiritually useful to other people, so help us to guard 
our time. Give us an eternal mindset. I'm so thankful for Jerry Ediger and Papa Fred that they are so eagerly anticipating heaven. And I pray that we would continue to draw from their influence on our lives. And Father, I pray we'd have a gospel focus. Oh, that we would delight to think on the gospel again and again, that we really would be gospel-centered people. I pray we'd honor you now as we sing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.